The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. In the Dharma and Depression series, Ronika Batsnik encouraged participants to speak freely about their experiences with depression, assuring them that their remarks would not be made public. Therefore, participants' comments and questions have been excluded from this recording. I'm so delighted to see how many people came out tonight. I'm going to I'm decided to take it personally. <laughs> I just couldn't decide when I was uh, driving down if I would be alone here. So, um it's nice to see everybody on this dark and rainy night and uh welcome back. This is our fifth and last class on dharma and depression. So, uh, any comments on the medicines you you may have used last the last week? And I'm using medicines as a metaphor of the mindfulness practices that we've been uh, using to apply to the problem of suffering and depression. Yes. Um, may I make an announcement oh, right. I'm first? That's right. Which is um, that this is the last of the series, and um, well. Everything here is freely given, the teachers and the facilities, everything. Um, it's also from the time of the... Uh, um, the Buddha? <laughs> <laughs> For these last couple thousand years, um, people have given what's called dana, which is a way of showing gratitude to the teacher and also to the facility. And there are two boxes right next to the front door where you can put something in for Rana for her time and her effort and or to the facility. And if we can pass around the microphone, just raise your hand, and the last person to have used it will pass it on to you. Thank you. And um, thank you for mentioning the Donna. And uh, uh, I just want to say I'm... Um, um, it gives me a lot of joy to, to teach and um, to receive dana because the Buddha's teachings are considered priceless. And so um, there's really no amount of money that could be attached to the gifts of the Dharma. And when I lived in Thailand um, for a number of years, the, the monasteries, you know, every nail, every brick, every, you know, every drop of salt, everything, you know, came from Donna, and um, the practice is really very beautiful. And I could even say it's a generosity, it's an antidote to depression, because you really have to look inside yourself and and not think, you know, what's it worth? Like, to you know, you don't, you know, the idea isn't to say, well, I could have gone to the movies, and that now costs eight eight seventy five, and <laughs> this, you know, it's not that way. It's it's. Um, it's it's a very personal thing. It's a very personal decision, and it gives you a lot of insight into where where your mind is in terms of, you know, to you know, in letting go, which is a hard thing to do. So, um, I'm always inspired to receive it. I'm always inspired to give it. So, um, thank you for that. And we have a comment here. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well. Um, Mindful, you know, a lot of times the mind is not mindful, but the, the, it's like spinning the prism is that we make the intentional effort to see that 
um, any moment of mindfulness is a moment of freedom from depression rather than uh, taking all the moments I haven't been mindful to beat ourselves up over, you know, and that to use it as um, a poison, really, to hurt ourselves over being depressed. I mean, give us, excuse me, giving us another reason to be depressed. Okay, I wasn't mindful this, this week. Well, that's actually good mindfulness, you know. Um, any other comments? Does anybody else use any of the medicines we've been talking about? Precepts, loving kindness? Yeah, yeah a lot of times the, the pill of mindfulness, compassion, loving kindness, you know, examining uh, our relationship to the precepts, um, you know, these are difficult um, medicines to swallow because... Um, a lot of times depression has bitter bitterness and there's anger, you know, it has all this alchemy and it's hard to offer when you feel dry inside. And that's the, the Buddha's medicine is that's the time to offer it to yourself and to others because when you offer it to others, you receive it yourself. So that's beautiful. And when I think what you touched on, I mean, my guess is that the tears that arose were from our common humanity. I mean, what a mess. Right? What a mess. I mean, the Buddha said this is the nature of samsara. This is the nature of the wheel of suffering that just goes on and on and on unless we make the intentional effort to interrupt it with the power and the medicine of mindfulness. Okay? There's no other way out, which is, you know, it's very motivating when you realize that. Okay? Yes, hi. Well, I, I appreciate the um, the courageous reflections, and I'm glad that you you brought them up because when I think it is normal when you engage in acts of generosity that these maybe um, uh, underlying feelings of expectations about what you're going to receive back are there, but a lot of times they go unacknowledged. And so I think it's very courageous to acknowledge that it's painful when you do something and then you say, well, I, you know, I wasn't, you know, people didn't respond. And, and that act of generosity became an act of pain. So um, as the saying goes, if you have no expectations, you'll never be disappointed. Um, and I say that because it's really powerful to look at your intention prior to the acts of generosity. And it's okay if you see, well, I'm, I'm intending to feel good about this. Um, you know, that's a really nice seed to plant as an antidote to depression. And then also if you're wary of what you're going to get back, including nothing, you know, um, my, I try to um, say, okay, well, like let's, if I put myself in your shoes and do something for somebody and there's that underlying kind of current of I'd like to be acknowledged, then I acknowledge myself. You know, I, I make that the medicine. Okay? So if somebody else can't give it to me, then I give it to myself because that's where it, that's where it is anyway. You know, so it's, it's very courageous to acknowledge the, the, um, the, the hopes and it's courageous to acknowledge the disappointments. And it's also very proactive to say that, the, you know, nobody could take away the generosity if um, you've given it. So um, you could actually feed it and 
nourish it by uh, appreciating your own generosity. Because um, it's, a, it's a beautiful quality. As a matter of fact, above mindfulness in the list of paramis, the list of sp- spiritual qualities, the first is generosity, right? The first one is generosity. So uh, Gill often tells the story of a student who was very wobbly and couldn't sit still and was, you know, the monkey mind and restlessness in the body. And the student went up to the teacher and said, you know, I just can't sit. I just don't, you know, my mind is like everywhere. And the teacher said, that's okay. You don't have to do sitting meditation. Be generous. It's a nice story, isn't it? Just let go that way. You know, open doors, smile, take people's place, you know, take people's place and watch them. And you get to watch your mind in a very powerful way about, you know, expectations, you know, and disappointments and see your mind, you know, go into depressionville if you don't get the expect, if you don't get the responses you want. So, you know, it's, it's kind of meditation in action. Any other comments about, hi. Well, I guess my first is just an em- empathy. That's that's hard, you know. That it's hard to to have a place where you can offer compassion and a place that seems to you know offer a very thick screen where the compassion um, doesn't seem to saturate. So I would I would say a couple of things is that um, one is to have compassion for that experience, you know. That is, it's hard to try to develop compassion when you're in a desert, you know, when that area of yourself is dry. Um, but it's medicine, so eventually it moistens, it kicks in. So when you see the discouragement arise or the why can't I, you know, state of mind, it's like you bring compassion to that. Because it's within it, there's an expectation that it, you know, should be compassionate, should be able to do this. And, you know, that, that um, pressure often uh, keeps the, the compassion at bay. It, it, it's not going to perform. Um, the other is to bring some uh, f- um, attention to just the physical sensations of what that block feels like. You know, is it cold? Is it hard? Is it thick? Is it long? Is it short? You get to know that part of yourself that feels cut off from the compassion. And uh, allow it to give, give it some space. Spend time with that part that's cut off and depressed. And because there's, I sense, and you're the one that, you know, ultimately all of us are our own doctors because we can only look with inside of our own minds, but, you know, there may be a depressing judgment in there, you know, that I can't, I can't do it and it'll never happen. And, you know, this is the way it's, you know, look for the, 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 the many messages of frustration or possibly judgment. I don't know. I'm just saying that, uh, and I'm not trying to <laughs> suggest that those, uh, it's more that, you know, that's the time to really deepen the mindfulness and say, hey, what's going on here? So you can, uh, Look at it physically, and you can look at it as a, a, a offer to be more uh, increase your determination, knowing that if you're watering the seed of compassion, it will sprout. Is that helpful? Okay, thank you. One more. 
I, mean, I think that's a, another courageous observation that there was a, a gain somehow. It's self-righteousness or, you know, they got what they did. I don't know. What was it? What, what was the fun? So, I, again, I would investigate what the what's fueling that feeling of what's fun about it. Because, as you said, it's a two-sided sword. It's like honey on a razor's edge. It's like there's a fun thing, but then it's also making you feel bad. So when I felt that, there's usually a, you know, something that's, something that's satisfying about the thoughts. They're making me feel better about themselves, even though the situation's terrible. But again, that's a good, good place to start observing very carefully and just asking the question in your meditation, what's feeling the fun, which, which really covers over lacquers that the feeling that it's hurtful, can be depressing. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a defense. I don't know. But it's a great opportunity for investigation. So thank you for that. Okay, did anybody use the medicine of looking at um, an experience and then the interpretation of it and then what the fact was? That's always my, one of my favorites. And based on, for, just for the newcomers, you know, the person's, the, the idea that we often, as from a depressed point of view, we often build a whole interpretation about an event when the fact is we really don't know the facts of the event. And the a customary example is someone's walking down the street, they, you wave and the other person doesn't wave back. And then usually in a depressed state of mind, you know, you start making up the story about how worthless you are and the person doesn't like you and, you know, that uh, nobody's going to like you and, and um, this, this, is, this was just the last thing I needed to, to do today. I'm going to go home and go to bed and try to sleep this rejection off. Or if you're in a, you know, decent mood and feeling emotionally satisfied and filled, you might be able to say, well, I, I don't know. You know, he didn't see me or she didn't see me or I don't know why or maybe they were in a bad mood. So you get to see the weight of interpretation. So I just wanted to make sure the new people knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And those depressed. Yeah. Those depressed thoughts. It's like an octopus. It's like they've they've melded onto your body and it's, you know, and then you feel fused with them rather than seeing like, you know, these are thoughts that have taken me to a, a really uh negative state that if I don't observe them then I could you know the ruminations go over and over again so that's a great example um, not to convince ourselves that you know that the rest of our lives is going to be completely miserable that's just the thought in this moment that's all it is you know the rest of our life is the, how miserable we're going to be is the thought in this moment I mean where's the future it's a thought right now where's the past it's a thought right now and um to catch the rumination is, is just a really very powerful piece uh, pill. Very just this is rumination. You know, just it's like the sword, and also fierce compassion. You know, the mind then it's, it's like it 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 gets upset that you you know the rumination's being cut off, and so it could start getting louder and louder, and it's like this fierce compassion. No. You know, I'm not going to get on that train to Depressionville. I'm going to see this rumination as a rumination and not make a conclusion out of it. So, great. Thank you. Okay, so um, does anybody have any questions rather than comments at this point before I...
go on. Any questions? Yes. Okay, so just to review, because it's very, very powerful, I've, I've, I've highly recommended, uh, or I highly recommend when you're not in a severely depressed place, to take opportunity to reflect on what are, who are the people, places, and things that really bring my mind down and you know, feel where I'm captured in that feeling of depression and then make another list of what are the people, places, and things I could do that offer me a sense of nourishment and well-being. And the idea is when you feel the signals of depression coming on, feeling withdrawn, feeling like you want to... Uh, don't don't want to feel return calls or emails or rather be alone or you start getting hyper whatever the signals are you're sleeping a lot you're not sleeping a lot that you can go to that nourishing list and and start pulling from it calling people telling them you know that you need contact you know making dates asking people to come over um, seeing certain people avoiding others. And I'm saying this because when you're in a severe depression, it's hard to, to make that list. Okay, but when you're not, when you're in a moderate or a very, you know, uh, very kind of, you know, light depression, then it's easier to to sit down and reflect. Because a lot of times we don't even know that some people like really pull us down. You know, I mean, it takes a while to like figure it out. You know, and then you realize like every time I leave this person or see this person, I feel like awful. I feel even it's like. Ugh. It's made me feel really bad. Well, that's good. You know, that's a good reflection. Because when you're depressed, a lot of times the, you know, you, the blinders are so thick. So it's, it's, it's a very, very helpful thing to do. It's also very generous. I, I like in the nourishing column to be generous. You know, that's, you know, to, to cook for somebody, to call somebody, to take a walk with somebody. Just as a way of, of bringing someone else out. You know, when you're severely depressed, it's hard to do. So is that helpful, just to that, review, that particular mindfulness pill? So tonight the mindful medicine is um, on the topic of forgiving your depression or the relationship between depression and forgiveness. Um, and it's a very powerful relationship because um, many times depression is a result or can be a result of lack of forgiveness towards oneself and towards one's experiences in life, that when we feel we haven't been given you know, our fair share, or we've had traumatic, terrible experiences in uh, our lives that have been so uh, devastating that it, it just seems they feel impossible you know, to recover from. And so what is another excellent piece of medicine is um, to bring up the uh, offering or the possibility of forgiving yourself. And I love the word forgive because it has for and then give. And it's an opportunity for generosity that can come from a very, very sincere place and it can come from a place that oh, I, a good person would be able to uh, forgive this, you know, abusive experience. Or, and that's not the point. You know, that's, that's not the point to put another trip on yourself. The, the medicine is to look, look with inside and, and 
and ask yourself, you know, what are what are some of the grudges I'm bearing towards myself? What are some of the disappointments? You know, I'm still, uh, you know, nailing myself for. What, you know, haven't I fully uh, owned that I'm still holding against myself? You know, that's that's keeping me, you know, so uh, in this state of self-hatred or bitterness that um, it's now become a, a punishment as if you deserve it. And so the opportunity is to bring these grudges and bitternesses up to the extent that you're able in small doses and things that you've harbored against yourself and to offer yourself to the extent you're able you know may may I forgive this this judgment may I forgive this grudge may I just see it as it is an energy that I've been holding and squeezing and using, you know, to fuel feelings of depression. You know, just observe what happens when you've offered these memories or thoughts or expectations, just a sense of allowing the energy of forgiveness to surround to surround what's in your heart and your mind and then you know if it's possible you know just to allow that to fade and you can bring another um, memory or feeling and allow that to arise and acknowledging you know the pain that this grudge or self, you know, abuse sometimes has caught, you know, you know, what it's done to us and just, you know, ask that energy for forgiveness. You know, it's a way of looking at the experience from a different perspective, allowing it to breathe, uh, allowing it to live so it can die instead of gripping it and making it part of our identity. And then you can turn the prism to you know, grudges, not just that you've held against yourself, but held against other people. And again, I recommend starting small. You know, things that have really annoyed you and that you know, you've, you've never discussed or you've held on. And you know, people could hold on to things for years. I mean, on their deathbed, you know, I... I mean, I, I, you know, I hear these stories all the time, like, you know, somebody's dying and then, the, you know, the, there's a screaming match that you never, came to, you never came to visit me in camp or you didn't send me a birthday card. It's like, oh, my God, you know, you realize it's like, you know, without mindfulness, we don't realize that these things, that we've been harboring these things. And so with mindfulness, we make the direct intention to look inside at the grudges that we've held, you know, the, the self, self-abuse where we're really beating ourselves up, and we allow that energy, you know, little by little, and look at it. And you could ask it, you know, is this, is this facilitating, you know, my self-respect? 
you know, or is forgiveness in order? I've held on long enough. And it's not like a happily happily ever after. It's more like just being patient with that energy day by day and making forgiveness an ongoing practice and see what happens. Um, it's not con- it's not condoning and saying, you know, that was the greatest thing you've ever done. You know, yeah, screaming at somebody or hurting them or rejecting, you know, it's not, it, rejecting them. It's not saying, you know, that's, you know, condoning it. It's more, you know, learning from it, seeing, seeing it from the point of view of mindfulness, you know, in our common humanity and, and, and this worthlessness, really. You know, it's just going to generate more and more pain. And a lot of times we do that to, so we, so nobody else could make us feel, feel worse. We, we make us, we like kind of guard. We say, I feel so bad nobody else could make me feel any worse as a way of guarding against rejection. Um, and looking at that energy and forgiving that. Yeah, you know, forgiving others, uh, you know, I think is e- almost easier than forgiving ourselves. You know, and you don't have to necessarily uh, have a dialogue with the person in person. You could go through it, you know, to the extent that I am able, I, I forgive you for, you know, fill in the blank. But, you know, really be mindful so the story doesn't go off again, you know. It's just that, you know, I, I'm, to the extent that I'm able, I can forgive you for the betrayal, the rejection, or not acknowledging the generosity. Um, Whatever it is. So, again, using that to the extent that I'm able. And really looking through, in your mind's eye, through the eyes of compassion. And if your eyes get cold or your heart gets cold, that's okay. You know, it's okay. You're making the effort. You're making the intention for forgiveness. Which is, you know, fundamental to the Buddhist practice um, of uprooting afflictive emotions. You know, afflictive emotions of greed, hatred, and delusion. This is, these are, you know, views of, ignor- of ignorance because, you know, uh, no matter uh, how much pleasure or how much pain we have, um, you know, nothing's going to la- nothing's going to last. Nothing's going to last. So eventually, you know, if you don't let go of it, it lets go of you. But the burdens of the mind, the burdens of the heart, you know. Uh, even the burden of not being able to forgive is worth offering offering forgiveness to. Forgiving bitterness, forgiving, you know, just that all the days and energy or months and years, you know, caught up in something. And a lot of people often say, you know, when, you know, when they get sick or they've been in an accident or the person, the other person is dying or, whatever, they're moving away, it's like all of a sudden, you know, the mindfulness comes up and you realize like, wow, that was so, such a waste of time or whatever. And that's okay to feel. It's just that not using it to beat ourselves up with, you know. That really what was behind this lack of forgiveness was tremendous sorrow or, you know, I wish I didn't waste all those years. That's a big one with people who are depressed. You know, I wish I didn't waste that time. You know, um, Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Maybe it was the best medicine you could ever realize, that insight that I'm not going to do it again, you know, and let the heart. Leonard Cohen says, when the heart breaks, that's, or is it the Bible? Well, one or the other. (laughs) 
he may have gotten the line from the Bible, okay? Uh, when the heart breaks, that's how the wisdom falls in. It's a beautiful line. When the heart breaks, that's how the wisdom falls in. But they, you say, oh, you know, I can't believe I spent my life around hating my parents or whatever. You know, now they're dead or dying or... And it could have been otherwise. Well, maybe it, that's exactly, well, karma would say that's exactly the way it had to be. And so what's the wisdom to juice from that? Yes, did you have a comment? Well, that, that you've held on to that as a reason to punish yourself. That, that's, the, that's the forgiving part, you know, that I've used this behavior as a way to put myself down. And to make, you know, to deal with the guilt or the, you know, the, the difficult feelings. And that's what needs the forgiveness. I've been holding this grudge. And what value does it have? You know, the value that it has is that you appreciate, you know, the, that you don't want that to happen again. And it's awakened you to the importance of treating people well while they're here. I mean, there's, you know, it's, the idea is to, that when you look inside to forgive, it, it offers wisdom which is a wonderful byproduct of forgiveness, you know. But it, it's hard for the wisdom to arise if you've held on to that guilt and grudge against yourself because it's too fused, too, too welded. Is that, does that answer your question? Yes? Well, just to repeat, um, that you have a friend who divides forgiveness into two categories. One, if, one is if somebody makes, makes an ethical violation, um, like gossiping or something, that, that doesn't, uh, that's forgivable, doesn't hurt this person. But if somebody steals from him, right? Somebody steals him. Okay, somebody... Yeah, major and minor violations, betrayal. You know, ultimately in Buddhism, the Buddha taught us if we don't let go of things, they let go of us. You know, so holding on to those feelings, um, um, I would say from a a Buddhist point of view, um, you know, hardens the heart. Sometimes that's okay. I mean, if you intentionally make that choice, I need to, I need to defend myself against an, a person because I don't want to get hurt again. And you make that intentional choice to not be in that person's presence or whatever. But when you're not forgiving, in general, another person, you're not you're hurting yourself. If you look at it through the lens of mindfulness. So forgiveness, you can say, is very self-serving. Um, again, it's not condoning people's behavior. It's not saying you shouldn't use wisdom to, uh, to the extent you're able to stay away from a person who you feel has violated something that feels intolerable, unbearable, or you know, so deeply hurtful. Um, but there is the the question is you know who that per, that person you know who stole maybe they're surfing in Hawaii or something but you're sitting there miserable you know feeling like you know 
uh, it's unforgivable. That's unforg- even the even the phrase, if you think of it, it's unforgivable. Wow, I mean, it's a hurt. It, it hurts just to even hear it. It's unforgivable. Um, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. You know. But again, who's it hurting? Who's where's the pain? So, uh, the Dalai Lama says that there's really no such thing as an evil person. That there's evil actions, and that. You know, when those things come up, like, you know, Timothy McVeigh or, you know, Osama bin Laden or Hitler, you know, these really horrific, I mean, you know, talk about the difficulty of forgiving is that you have to make the incredible noble effort of seeing that these are, you know, despicable acts of hatred and ignorance, uh, but holding on to that hatred of that person, you know, is, is, um, unskillful because it's first of all not going to change the experience and it's going to um, um, dull your vision to uh, the ability to forgive and to uh, underneath that to appreciate our common humanity these things are easier said than done which is why we we don't take Hitler as the first person we want to forgive or Osama bin Laden or, we, you know, we don't, we look at it, we do something else. We, we, we look at it incrementally. What, what can I forgive about myself? You know, what, what is something that I have myself on the hook for? Uh, you know, hurt, hurting somebody, you know, giving them a, you know, what do they call it, like a noogie? Remember that word? You know, just a sarcastic remark, you know, not so, you know, knowing it's their birthday, not sending them a birthday card, um, deliberately keeping them out of a some kind of social engagement, whatever, something little, and just say, you know, that I forgive that. I, I learned that that feeling of needing to hurt somebody is is not in my best interest. It really hurt me more, or I don't know. It's not a competition. It hurt. I don't need to do that. It's not a self-respecting thing to do. It's gonna. It's ultimately gonna flip back. It's gonna boomerang, and that's a lot of depression happens that way. We do things, you know. That's why we look at the precepts. We drink or take drugs or we gossip or or we um, become jealous or whatever. But you know, as a way of trying to like moderate the depression, right? But ultimately, like those. Those feelings, you know, come back and haunt us. You know, we, we, you know, does it feel good to gossip? No. I mean, maybe in the moment, maybe in the moment it does, but then it's like, it's kind of like you, you just, you feel dirty about it. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a self-respectful thing to do. You know, it doesn't bring the feeling of dignity. It doesn't bring the feeling of integrity. It, it, it breaks down your feeling of safety for yourself and to other people. So the things that in, in a depressed mind that we grasp onto, it's really good. We see, we see the consequences of it, you know, that they're making us feel worse. So we have to go back and say, well, what was the cause? And the cause is usually there's something painful that we want to uh, avoid. And so we do something unskillful and we may get the hit right away. You know, you take a drink or whatever and uh, you've avoided something, but then there's the boomerang. So we say, well, you know, what is it? You know, can, can I forgive myself for the feeling? And if it's unbearable, you know, uh, do something skillful. 
to deal with the unbearable feeling rather than walk into the trap and then you're on the train then you're depressed and then you stay there and then you know maybe you get like a breath like a like a fish I was at the Mount Way Aquarium you know and they're like <laughs> you know that <laughs> you get a breath and then they go down again and I was thinking that's such a great metaphor for depression you know you get up and you see like a bit a crack of sunlight and then you sink again you know because you think why, well why don't I why don't I see that all every day you know it's like I I and now I feel even worse because I could be outside like playing you know cricket and but I'm you know lying in bed with dirty hair you know you got to be on top of it all the time you know and it's this is the medicine this is the medicine so um um, and it's difficult, but it's so beautiful because ultimately it's the seed of wisdom that we're trying to to cultivate. You know, we're not trying to be sentimental about forgiving. I'm such a forgiving person, and blah blah blah. It's more like you know, it's it's you you to the extent you're able that you bring these experiences up within what you're doing, uh, what you've done to yourself, and what other people have you know perceived in injustices, and you look at. The situations and the feelings through the eyes uh, of mindfulness, through the eyes of a soft heart. Uh, and then, um, as a result of that, see what happens. We don't know. So I'd like people to um, divide up in uh, small groups of four, okay? And to um, uh, have a little sharing opportunity where you can talk about you can talk about small or large grudges you're holding against yourself or with other people and um, um, talking about the intention to forgive and what that offers and or if you've been working on it as I've been speaking um, and then uh, go around and listen to each person and it's not an opportunity to be offering advice it's more to each other it's more you know, where are you with this concept or this focus on forgiveness? By the way, I have one more thing I want to say before you break up into groups because it's so powerful. And I may have said this before, but I'm 56, so if I'm getting repetitive, that's why. Um, in Thailand, at, before you leave a monastery, have I told, have I said this? That you, that the, that the gracious thing to do, anybody who's lived in the monastery, uh, you engage in a ceremony with your teachers which asks for forgiveness. It's like a call and response. If I've done anything to hurt you through body, speech, or mind, I ask for your forgiveness and you offer a tray with candles, flowers, and incense, and bowing is involved. And your teacher, enlightened beings, it's incredible. They ask forgiveness of you. It's unthinkable. You know, that they, I mean, they can't. They're enlightened. They're completely uprooted of greed, hatred, and delusion. But the point is, they still ask for forgiveness because you just, it's intentionally or unintentionally. Um, they ask forgiveness of you. It's a way of like wrapping the experience up in a bow. So, you know, you die in a car crash, you die in a plane crash, you know, you, you, you don't know if you're going to see that person again. You know, and in, you know, it's to the extent that at night, you know, forgiving yourself. You don't know if you're going to wake up in the morning. As it happened, my brother, he died in his sleep. You know, I don't know what he was holding. Nobody does. But, you know, you don't want to go to sleep with a grudge. I mean, to, again, it's like, it's not this whip. It's, it's that, you know, you should forgive that night because you don't, it's not that energy. It's the energy of, you know, what am I capable of doing in this moment in my heart? So I can let go of it and not carry it around in this life or in other lives. So um, uh, 
when I was so I, I, I loved the ritual of forgiveness because as I said, it 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 it's so human to you know, the door slams or you know, you have a bitter thought or annoying thought and it covers everything, the ceremony. It covers everything. So you kind of leave with a fresh slate and it's a we consider it would be considered at least in the tradition I, I was in, in the types of monasteries I was in. If you left the monastery without asking for forgiveness after being there, it would be, you know, really insulting, really rude, you know. Um, and it would be considered like karmically incorrect. It's like why, you know, why wouldn't you take the opportunity to clean the slate, you know? And so, um, uh, it, it, or carry anything along with you, like you drop it, you leave it, and so. Um, when I was leaving Thailand at one point, uh, I was planning to come back, and I had already, I was leaving one of my teacher's monasteries in the north, and we'd gone through the forgiveness ceremony. And it's really, as I said, it's really quite beautiful, and offering the candles, flowers, and incense, and then the chanting um, that releases any karmic, negative karmic bonds. And then um, I had already asked for forgiveness from my other teacher in the south of Thailand. Ajahn Anand, the teacher in the north was Ajahn Gunha. And I said to Ajahn, Ajahn Gunha, I can't remember how it went. Where's this? And I can't remember if he asked me or if I asked him, but uh, the upshot of it was uh, about 500 kilometers, 800 miles or so, you know, I traveled to go back to see Ajahn Anand, ask for forgiveness, because I think the idea Ajahn Gunha said is you're leaving the country, you know, you don't know. If you'll be back to Thailand, you have plans to come back to Thailand, but just to cover yourself, kind of like do the right thing, pay respects to your teacher again, and ask for forgiveness. And I did, and it was beautiful. And, you know, he helped me, my teacher helped me do it, you know, trains and buses and rides and this, and the monastery was in the middle of nowhere, and da da da. And it just felt really good. I didn't know, you know, and um, I have been back to Thailand. I have, I have seen my teachers, I haven't seen them recently. But um, forgiveness, you know. So uh, um, I'm telling you the story because it, it, the burden of release is possible. The burden of release is on us. Okay, we can't. You know, we're not waiting for. It's a proactive uh, forgiveness. Is proactive. It's a gift, and it's empo- it's empowering. It's the exact opposite of depression, which is you know disempowering feeling that there's no efficacy, no no power to change. And so you say, I'm not waiting for the person to for, you know, to ask for forgiveness for me. I'm going to do it for myself. And and I'm going to re- reap the wisdom and benefits of it. Any questions? Yes. Thank you. It's a great question because... Now, what is the definition of forgiving? As I said, it has for and give, and it's it's an offering of of release and surrender and letting go that whatever happened could be any other way than what it was. And that no matter how hard we try, it's not it's not going to change. It's the way it was because it, it was the way it was. And through that, you realize, you know, the the heaviness of the heart that comes with it, and the 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 lack of happiness, the lack of goodwill, 
you know, that's that's bound up in an energy that is, is doesn't serve you well, doesn't serve your life well, life well, the precious human birth that we have. So out of that willingness to look at situations that we've held on to, you know, we make the effort to release, to release them, to give another energy to say, you know, to exempt them. I'm, I'm able. I forgive this hurt, this energy, this pain, and see what and see what happens. But thank you for clarifying. Okay, so. Um, uh, you can just get in little groups. If there's three, that's fine. If there's five, that's fine. But I'm aiming at four, please. I feel badly that we're not going to have the opportunity to share our experiences uh, that you had in your group because it's coming to a close of the five-week series. And I sincerely wish from the bottom of my heart that each and every one of you um, can use the medicine that the Buddha offered us to help release you from feelings of depression, whatever stage you're in with it or whatever particular issues that are, give, are, are feeding this really difficult afflictive emotion. So I sincerely hope that the medicines that we've discussed over these last five weeks um, to help um, um, cure the illness will um, be things that you reflect on, will be methods that you practice, will um, will really change your lives because that's what the Buddha's, the Buddhist system of um, understanding the problem, the cause of the problem, problem can be resolved on the path to doing it. So on that note, um, uh, as they say in Thailand, you night jai, you're in my heart. I really appreciate the efforts that each of you have made, the courage, courageous statements and insights that you've shared here. And I um, sincerely ask for forgiveness for any ways I've been unskillful in body, speech, and mind. I ask you for forgiveness that sincere forgiveness, and I wish you all well. Thank you very much.